Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mothman Prophecies of Sparrows podcast, season two, episode five. Guess what? We're still in quarantine. It is still going. We're probably going to be loving it. Yeah, Dan is having the best time. (sighs) Every day is the best day for me. No, I can't wait. It's a... yeah, it's it's been great so far. I uh, I got an Xbox 360. I got some games. I'm now becoming a video game nerd. It's a huge learning curve playing with two joysticks, though. It's really, it's really challenging. I think that's really funny that you guys bring that up all the time, the two joystick thing. Because dude, dude I, we're fucking old. Okay, that's what it is. We're fucking old. <laughs> now like, we're gonna cut. What? Sorry, I just really want to bring up this two joystick thing because it's really been bugging me. I, <laughs> I, need, I need to vent about this. I hate and I hate it that I, I just, I don't know. That's I think that's why I haven't gotten into newer video game systems recently is because I feel like that learning curve is so big. And I'm sure there's a ton of people out there that, that I think I'm probably a fucking wimp for saying that, but. No, I, I, I agree with you. I feel, and this is why I was saying before, like, I feel like there is an age gap that we are just above for two joystick video gaming because I'm fucking horrendous at Destiny. At what's that other one that you always play, Alex? What's it called? Halo. Halo. I am. Fortnite. I am the bait. I'm the bait in those games. I go running out in the middle. I get shot and die, and then I watch everybody else successfully play. And I feel the same way too. Is that it's not intuitive to use two hands to look around. Because I'm used to playing, you know, fucking Goldeneye and shit yeah. like that. That was in my prime area of playing video games. Yeah, and I'm not so gonna I, lie. The single I get frustrated. Thing, the single joystick when N64 came out was very was a not big intuitive. But yeah, at absolutely. the time, I was a kid. I didn't have anything else to do. All I was doing was playing N64, and it didn't matter. You know, yeah. now, and I think the big issue is, and this is what I noticed yesterday, because yesterday was the first time I played Xbox by myself with a brand new game ever. And I was fine walking around and, you know, like the left joystick is to make your, your character move. And then the right joystick is to make your character <laughs> actually physically look. But as soon as I had to attack something or something attacked me, I like completely forgot what I was like, how to control anything. I'd be looking at the sky, I'd be looking at my feet. I couldn't find like it would. It was just like chaos. Fuck so, you guys. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, it was just. I sound like a grandpa talking about this. Anyways, we no, don't need to talk about anymore. Just, you just. It's like anything else, though. It's like you when you're young, you soak things up. As you get older, it becomes more difficult to learn things. Yeah. Most of our parents and Facebook, you know, that kind of thing. So, Honestly, though, I feel like by the next time we do another podcast, I'll give everybody an update on what my my gaming skills are like. I will be holding my breath. I'm sure you will. I'm so excited <laughs> for that. Perfect. We sounded excited, right? We sounded excited yep. there. Yep, the fake yep. enthusiasm was definitely uh, noticeable. It's not fake. Okay. Well, anyways, <laughs> so 
this is uh, season two, episode five of the Mothman Prophecies of Sparrows podcast. And today, it's just the three of us. We don't have a guest. Um, no, but it was fun to have Mike last week. It was. It, it was, was a, lot of fun a lot of fun to have Mike talking with him about music. He's a, he's a really good dude. Um, yeah, but- I, he's just somebody I wish I could talk to like all the time. Like he's just got that kind of conversation style where it's mm-hmm. not it's not painful. Like sometimes it's hard to have a conversation um, with somebody around music, but with him, it's like he's even if he disagrees with you, he completely listens it out and then tells you why he disagrees without being rude. Whereas talking to me, I'd be like, "No, you're wrong," you know. Yeah. Um, and that's just nice to have. <laughs> well, I've also is- noticed that being in this band, like a lot of the people that I've met through you guys are just genuinely like super, like abnormally nice, especially for the music industry, which has been a nice surprise. Cause like I've been in bands for like my entire life. And of course there's a lot of nice people, but you know, meeting people through you guys, almost everybody has been like somebody that I would genuinely want to spend a lot of time with. That's good. I think that's just because we've been around for so long. Like if you're not, at least my theory is if you're not a good person, like down in your core, you don't stick around. Now that's obviously been played out to be not true, but that's how I feel. So like the friends that we still have around us are obviously because they're people that we value. So like, it's easy to then step into that knowing that whoever you're going to meet that we go like, Oh, we're friends with these people. It's, it's probably been a long time or we've, you know, we figured out that they're on the same wavelength as us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I guess we're back to my pick this week. This would be the beginning of the second round, I guess you could say. Oh, right. Know. Yes. We're, we're talking about music today. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I thought the video games was a nice touch. Um, no, totally. I would just say we, we, it's been a, we, we haven't taken this long to get started before. So yeah. It's a podcast. That's what we're supposed to be doing, though. Yeah. You know, I don't know how That's much true. there is to really talk about this album, to be honest. But we'll we'll figure that out when we talk about it. Um, so my pick this week was uh, by a band uh, that I was, funny enough, not like a huge, huge fan of in high school. It wasn't until I want to say, well, I guess it was like later in high school and into the beginning of university that I sort of picked up on them. But it was way after their heyday, and I think after they sort of broken up. Um, which is the band called The Juliana Theory. Uh, and we're going to look at their album called Emotion is Dead, which was their second album. It came out way back in 2000. So right when I was, I don't even think I was in high school yet, which is crazy. What's your name? Dan, you were in high school, but I wasn't. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's Uh, funny because when you, when I read that we were doing this, um, I immediately like went back to being, like I think I was fourteen when this record came out. Maybe, yeah, two thousand. Yeah, I would have been fourteen ish, and I remember it coming out because like my friends' crew, like that kind of. the people that I hung out with for the most part in that age group, there was two or three of us that listened to something that wasn't say Lincoln park. And I remember it being a big deal with them. So for some reason, this one and the record after it, which I think is called love or something like yeah. that 
Um, I remember those two being a really big deal in my friend's group. Um, And so for some reason, I just remember like, oh, yeah, this record came out when I was in high school. And this, you know, I remember what people were thinking about it. So, yeah. And I think they they were one of those bands that friends of mine when I was in grade nine and grade 10 were huge into them. And I just, I don't know, they play them at their house when we go hang out and I would think about it, but I wouldn't be as attached to it. And then it was later on there. This album is definitely a nostalgia album for me. As soon as I put it on, I immediately go back to being 14 years old and hanging out in my buddy Cameron's house out in Manatic, uh, or jumping on a trampoline or something, you know, like just hanging out in a basement somewhere. And this album was just on. So see, I'm the opposite. I, when you like, when you chose this band and you told us what it was, I have never heard of them. I've never made, had any connection with them in my entire life. And then I started listening to it. And then I asked people around me, like, have you ever heard of this band? And everybody has. So I just somehow missed out on it. Yeah. They were like a pretty big deal in the early two thousands. They were always the band that I would see on a tour where I wanted to see the other bands and I would see their name on it and go like, heh, because I wasn't able to go to these shows. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and because I was just too young and trying to get there, I didn't have older friends that would drive or whatever. Uh, but I can remember seeing their name on like posters on whatever website I used to check or like getting email updates from probably fucking Revelation or something because they've been around for 9,000 years. Um, and always seeing like, blah, 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 Juliana theory. And like, I, I feel like that's part of my, uh, like to go along with the couple of friends that I had that were really into this band. That's my other half of like holding on to this band, because for some reason, I just remember always seeing them on like a tour poster on a tour announcement. And they just always seemed to be touring with the, the one band I really wanted to see at that moment. So it was just kind of an odd I used to have that with the full blast too, not to like segue off, but the full blast was on every fucking tour that I wanted to see. And as good as that band is, when you see them like nine times in a year, it's a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, that anyway. way with Ill Scarlet. Oh, don't get me started everywhere. with Ill Scarlet. I can't, we can't talk I, about that right now. I mean, I still love the band, but I still, I thought about that, that about the cancer bats. I felt like they were opening every tour at one point and that was just how it was or attack and black. That's a band I never. Attack really... and Black was uh, was in a lot of tours, and they uh, mm-hmm. they were always on tours that I felt like didn't make sense for them to be on. Mm-hmm. But that was also kind of interesting because I can remember seeing them. It was uh, Monine, Attack and Black, Sydney, and somebody else. I don't remember who the other band was on it. And remember going like, okay, Attack and Black is like main support on this, and they're the band that sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, but that's what I again at the same time also kind of liked that because I love. I love mixed bill shows. I wish mixed bill tours happened like they used to. Yeah, um, me too. And there's something really nice about that, you know? Um, and it's funny that you would bring up the Cancer Bats because for some reason I have a lot of seeing the Cancer Bats play with Cursed or seeing the Cancer Bats play with, like, I don't, I don't even fucking know, someone random at Blues Fest or something. Like, I don't have that same um, remember, remembrance of the Cancer Bats, but at a certain point they just started playing on bigger and bigger tours that I wasn't interested in seeing. So they kind of like disappeared out of my, my zone a little one bit. Of the, one of the first Cancer Bat shows I saw, I didn't even see them. I showed up after they were done, but they were on this tour. And it was funny because they seemed to be the, like the one band that one of these things is not like the other in a sense of their name. Cause it was them. Yeah. Uh, Haste the day. It oh, dies. Yeah. It dies today. And then every time I die. 
And that was actually oh, the first I was time at I saw that show. Every Time I Die. That was at Babylon in Ottawa. Yeah, and, that uh, was, the, I think, the year I moved to Ottawa. It was in the yeah, summer, it was, right? It was, it was right when uh, The Big Dirty had just come out. Or yeah, not The Big Dirty, yeah. sorry, not Big Dirty. Um, what the one with the, the deer on it or whatever. No. Yeah. Um, uh, Hot Damn? Um, Hot Damn, that's the one. Yeah, no, yeah, that's no, it. no, not that one. Nope. Really? The one in between, the one in between those. <laughs> what the hell is that? No, I, listen, no idea. Someone uh, will tell us in the, in the comments. I don't know what's, oh, I don't know what's going on right record. now. Gutter Phenomenon. That's the one. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right when that album had just come out. And that's actually when I sort of really got into Every Time I Die, but we don't have to talk about that because whatever. Um, but yeah, so the Juliana <laughs> Theory. <laughs> Nostal- <laughs> this was definitely a nostalgia choice. And um, What's the record called? I don't think we ever said which one it was. Emotion is Dead. Right. Okay. It's their second album. Um, and what's funny is I don't really know any of their other stuff other than this one album. This is the one album that I seem to always listen to now when I listen to them. And uh, every song for me is like a straight banger. Like every song has like the catchiest chorus. It just, I don't know. For me, it was just like one of those like, I wouldn't even call it a guilty pleasure, but every song has like just this incredible chorus. And it's just crazy to think that this isn't the album that blew them up, you know? Like it was the next album where they actually charted on Billboard and this album, they didn't really do, like it didn't really get them that same exposure, even though they were on Tooth and Nail at the time, which in well, that era is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, I think they, I feel like I remember seeing something that they sold like 150,000 copies of this record or something, which is actually pretty good. But also, again, from my understanding, part of the reason it feels like they didn't do quite as well is because Tooth and Nail wasn't really pushing at that point. Um, And I remember they, they, I remember doing a brief read, but I also remember that it was a big deal kind of in these circles when they left Tooth and Nail and went to like Sony or something like that. Um, they went to epic oh epic okay um but i remember again when that happened too because the record that followed that like i said i think it's called love or something it's got a black cover um that was the one that was really like really big in my friend circle when that came out and i remember that that was all kind of the talk around it because they're like oh they're on a major now and that was kind of the the beginning era i would say of like people getting mad at bands for moving from the tiny label that they were on to the big label that they went to after. And, um, I, I've, I've always been kind of like weird about that. Like, why does that matter? But anyway, um, I just, for some reason that, that part sticks out of me of knowing and hearing all about the fact that like they tooth and nail and them as a band were just always fighting through this. So even though they sold like a decent amount of records for the time, and especially for an independent label at that point, um, it never seemed like enough because they they weren't out there kind of the way that say like Victory Records used to advertise in the early two thousands where their shit was just everywhere. Well, mm-hmm. I was gonna say like I kind of looped them into that early two thousands pop rock movement or pop punk movement of like Spittlefield and Further Seems Forever and all these kind of Further Seems Forever for sure. Yeah, um, never heard another, of either of those bands. Uh, there's another. Who else was I looking at that kind of was around that same. Oh, there was another band that when you think of that early 2000s um, dashboard confessional yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yes yes that's probably who it was the skull yeah. canvas like that kind yeah. of early yeah, pop, yeah, yeah. that early pop emo movement like they were one of those bands that i want to say kind of like to me pioneered that sound well um, they were they were part of what i would call like the first wave that ended up being 
quote unquote commercially successful. Because again, back then there was like really big artists that we all know that have been around forever that were selling a boatload of copies of stuff. But then we had like what would be considered maybe the first version of our scene that mm-hmm. started actually pulling records and they, you know, they were part of Warp Tour as Warp Tour started to explode and all of this different stuff going on with that. And whether or not the bands were on a part of that, just being associated in that genre as it exploded, of course, all of these bands would kind of come up. And so I agree with you. Like, they're definitely, like, I, I have a hard time saying that they're, like, first wave, but they're definitely in the early part of the success of this whole, like, area of music, you know? When I say first wave, I mean, like, my first wave. Because that was oh, when... Oh, totally, that totally. Was, it was around that time when I was starting to play music in, in high school, like, in a band, playing shows now. They were part of that first, I guess. Oh, yeah. You know, it makes sense based on of, your exposure. You know, because yeah. Alex's is going to be different because he's a little bit younger. So, like, whenever yeah. his kind of exposure comes up, that's, quote, unquote, like, his first wave. For me, I just kind of fall in the middle of two, where it's, like, I think of, like, Braid and Texas is the Reason and Mineral yeah. and these sorts of things. But I caught them at the end of theirs as this one started to come up. So I just, myself personally, I always feel like I'm in a little bit of a weird spot. Be- and it's I just feel like that all the time. Like, it's kind of like when we talk about you know, just big rock records for everybody. Everybody's been doing those lists of things that everybody likes. And it's, you know, all of mine are from a specific area of years (laughs) (laughs) or, or behind that, you know, like I don't really have a lot of stuff that's come out, let's say in the last five to eight years where I've been like diehard. Yes about it. Um, but I just think that's based on what your exposure is and what you're like, where you start to really dive in becomes your number one point. And I just fall into these two different spots at the same time. So it's, it's just, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, it's funny you bring up those lists because I've been trying so hard not to just make it 10 albums of new metal records. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, that's literally what I came up on was new metal. That was like my big intro to like heavy music. No, I, just, it's, I fell into that demographic, you know? And, well, me too. And see, I'm in that a little bit too. I th- I'm like, like, I remember... Like, don't, I love Significant Other by Limp Bizkit. Like, that was a great record for the age group that I was in. But part of the reason I liked it is just because it had big, loud guitars. It wasn't necessarily that I was like, I'm diehard about all of this. It's just like, I like a good riff, you know? Yeah, it's not um, relatable in no. lyrical content. It's just fun music. You know? And yeah, I'm, uh, like, for hip-hop, I'm, for example, I'm, like, very, very selective of what I do like, and it tends to be older stuff. So again, like I liked Limp Biscuit in spite of how shitty of a rapper Fred Durst was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like um, uh, that could be that could be argued. <laughs> no, no, and that's what I said. That's just my taste. I, I mean, he's doing it all for the nookie, so it's fine. That's but I started answer. the reason I started laughing is because I was at work on Friday and Mikey said something about you posting Papa Roach. And it made me laugh a little bit because he was like, Oh, you guys are doing podcasts, right? Are you talking about Papa Roach this week? And I was like, No, but I'm sure that's coming. Hey, it will. I, I that know. album. <laughs> seriously, we should do a album, new metal album. We should. Yeah, new metal week maybe, or something. Yeah, my next, maybe my next album. I'll I'll pick a new metal album. We'll we'll see. But this is very far from new metal. Um, yes. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, we can. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on the album. I want to hear what because I mean, do especially you? coming from. Well, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay. Do you do you want me to start, or do you want to start with Alex? Doesn't matter. I mean, Alex, right. let's hear what you think because you are not familiar with the band. It would be nice to hear an outside okay. opinion on it. Um, 
Okay. Yeah, totally. So I, like I said, I had zero knowledge of this band. Like I didn't even recognize the band name, which is weird for me because I recognize, you know, every band name ever, except for this one, apparently. But so the first listen, I was like, I don't want to be negative, but I was like, what the fuck is this type of thing? That's fair. Uh, But to be fair, later on, I uh, like with listening to it more, I definitely understand how they were like influential to like, or at least part of this, you know, pop punk era. Well, and I I think that's maybe part of your issue is that you weren't exposed to them in the right time frame to be able to judge their impact. It seems maybe a little bit derivative now based on everything you've been exposed to without having that initial point of contact where there wasn't all this extra stuff, you know, like this was quote, I don't want to say cutting edge, but like it was the beginning of something kind of rolling through. And obviously people are going to, uh, change or improve or, or actually do worse, which happens a lot. Um, of whatever that version is. So it kind of makes sense that you would feel that way. And I can totally see how it was like the influence for other things that came out. Like when I became the age of listening to, you know, actual bands and stuff. Cause at this point, like when this album came out, I was 10 years old, right? Like I wasn't listening to music critically at this point. I think I was like maybe listening to, like I had maybe bought a trouble charger album at that point. (laughs) <laughs> and uh yeah i don't know i didn't actually start paying attention to music until i was in like grade eight or something so and i i think that makes sense like i like i was saying i think that absolutely makes sense of why your exposure point when you first hear it it's like kind of like uh or whatever you know like it's not a mad um, it's not impactful yeah because of where you start you know mm-hmm. um so but i i like that's that's almost sometimes a hindrance for me too, because it's harder when you have the opposite to then to get into something new, because then you tend to maybe get into the point of being like, no, I like this band better because they did it first, which Mm -hmm. isn't fair. You know, and like, that's not a fair assessment to make, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So anyway, I like, I did (laughs) end up enjoying the album, like, especially more than I thought at the very beginning, like the first song as it came in, I was dreading. I was like, oh no, I have to listen to this like six more times all the way through. Six uh, tries like 13, buddy. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Like I, yeah, yeah. I listened to it nonstop for like two days right. and uh, yeah, I was dreading it because the first song, like it is my least favorite song on the album. And um, the deeper I got into the album, I kind of, I started to like it more and more. And once I got on like my third or fourth listen, I actually started looking forward to certain, uh, you know, tracks coming up, which I, awesome. I was not expecting at all. And so my favorite song, I, like the best part of the album, I think was the end. I loved uh, track 12 going into 13. Like 13 was kind of like an outro-y, um, yeah. you know, 
almost a repeat. Thing. Yeah. It's yeah. funny you say that because I actually think like that song could completely just not be on this album and it wouldn't it affect. It is different it, than everything it wouldn't else, affect, for yeah, sure. It, it wouldn't affect how the album is at all. Like it, See, I found that like, this is the thing is I, I kind of agree with what Alex is saying, but I think that that last track being there makes me like the track before more. After the, like, you know, I mean, this is a revisit for me. It's not like a brand new listen, but like Mm -hmm. when I listened to it again, I was kind of like forgetting that certain parts were there, but I remember listening to the the second last song, which I consider the last song on the record. Yes. And then, because I think on the CD, it was only 12. I don't think they're that 13th track was there. If I remember correctly. Um, Um, Honestly, it's literally just one big, like 14 minute song. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, but that's, I can, like, I remember hearing that part and going like, oh, I wish I was back on the track before. And that was kind of like my impact. So I kind of agree with you, John, but I also feel like maybe it wouldn't be quite as good if that part after that wasn't there to kind of like almost prove like, Hey, you just went through this killer, like section of this record. <laughs> now I mean, you're listening to this bad part. Remember yeah. how good this was? <laughs> and honestly, for me, yeah. But for me, like, because I love that little, um, like, I love the first interlude. Like, I think it's the sixth track where it's like Emotion yeah. is Dead Part yeah. One. And it's only two minutes long. It's a nice little taster, you know, it just kind of breaks the album up. Um, and for me, like, the album is so front heavy with good songs. Like, I, I for me personally, like, I listen to like tracks one through eight on repeat all the time and it's like the last sort of you know four or five tracks like i'll listen to the album every now and then but i'm not like as a diehard whereas like the first eight tracks really stand out like we're at the top of the world i have a really funny story about that uh song that i could talk about later but like if i told you this is killing me would you stop like that song fucking rips that's the see me, that's, that's my the, favorite song that's the best song in this album yeah that, and that's like I was going to say, like, that's the song I remember being on, like, mix CDs and stuff. Like, that was... See, and that's what I was going to say. I feel like, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that was a single. Or if uh, nothing else, it was on, like, a lot of compilation stuff. Like, Plea for yeah. Peace, number four. And, like, right. Warp Tour, whatever. Like, for some reason, I feel like that was the exposure track. You know? Yeah, like, it was so just weird. very out there. That track, for me, I didn't make any notes on because it didn't stand out for me. Like, that's one of the only tracks that I don't have notes on. Interesting. Huh. It's a great song. It's and I mean, like, we're nothing without you. I also that was another one of those first songs I remember hearing. Where I was like, man, this song, like, it's so dark and it's like this mid tempo kind of marchy feeling. And it, I don't know, it all that song always left a lasting impression as well. But what's funny about this band and this album is I remember the show Undergrads in high school. Yep. Yes. Watching that show religiously, like the Douglar. Yeah, religiously <laughs> and i i remember there i think it's the the risk episode which was my favorite episode and uh we're at the top of the world plays during the credits we're at the top of the world you and i we've got a lot of time and it sure feels right cause you reach in your pocket and pull out a pass since you can take And I remember being oh, like, interesting. What, what fucking song is this? I love this song so it's just like the shalala part. Right. Yeah. Um, like you can take me anywhere. And 
I was like, man, I like, this is so fucking catchy. What is this? And I could never find out what it was. I was, you know, in high school looking up online, like outro track, undergrads, risk episode, music, like all this stuff, nothing would lead to it. And then finally, years and years pass and I'm listening to this album and like in university and that song comes on and I'm like, holy shit, that's the fucking song. Like it, it was just this big circle where it came back, you know, six years later that I finally discovered what the actual song was. That show had so much great content and material in it from like musicians and everything about that show was great. Didn't Good Charlotte run write the theme song? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm glad I'm thinking of the same thing. Yeah, because it's that same, that's like a, that same classification, that kind of yeah. early 2000s emo pop like punk. Emo pop punk, yeah. Just that's what they were going for. And that's kind of what I was listening to at the time in high school. It just really stuck. But yeah, it's just funny when there's there's been other songs in my life that I've been, I would hear them in a commercial for a, a movie preview and be like, what the fuck song is that? Um, I remember one of them was uh, by Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, it's off of Rated cool. R. Uh, oh, The Lost Art of Keeping a Secret, which is like a huge song. And now that I know it, I know it. But I remember hearing the chorus for that and being like, what fucking song is this when I was a kid? Because I came out the same year. And, uh, and just never being able to discover what that song was until later on when I was listening to this band and listening to this album by chance. And it just comes on. And then I finally know what it is. It's yeah, frustrating. Very frustrating. That's, it's funny because that's how I know the national. Like I know that they're a massive band, but they're like the style of music they play is not something I am, enjoy. It, like I would listen to it passively at best, but I feel like that the big national song was in a commercial or a TV show or something that I watched. Um, and I remember hearing it going like, what the fuck is that? Like it's just so sad and like really down key. I don't even remember what the song is called right now, but I have it on my iPod. Um, but the song is phenomenal. And I remember hearing it and whatever this was, and it took me a year to find it. And yeah. I just remembered, like, I know this voice and I know how the kind of like thing flows and I will find the song. And then I remember when someone finally told me, I was like, oh, it's that band. Like, I kind of don't <laughs> want to like this now. <laughs> but like, no. this, like, and that's, that's kind of where I come down to with like a lot of stuff where it's like, I can appreciate that you're a good songwriter. It just doesn't do something for me. Mm -hmm. And the national is a perfect example of that. Like, I know why they're a great band, but I just like that one song. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way about the national. Like Carly yeah. loves them and she just doesn't understand how I don't enjoy it. Like, they're yeah. fine and i i totally understand why everybody else likes them but i do not have any of their stuff on like my spotify or you know yeah they're, and they're a band yeah they're a band i love but i attribute too many of their songs with very negative parts of my life oh yeah that it's hard for me to listen to them now without returning to those emotions that's radiohead with me it's just like i like there was that's a song disturbed was for me <laughs> Are you, is that is that because you're down with the sickness? No, no, that's a that's a story for another time. But okay, okay. Um, the reason the reason I brought up the national though, I had a reason behind this, but the Juliana theory, I kind of feel the same way as the national. Sure. Like I remember when they came out, I remember the big deal that they were, but I always attribute them to doing just about everything that I don't like in this style of music, but the song that we were talking about where, where it's, what's it called? If, if this hurt me, would you stop? No. 
if I told you this was killing me, would this you is killing me. Would you stop? Like that is a banger of a song, no matter what. Like I don't like my taste of this band aside. That's a great song, but mm-hmm. it's the same way that I feel about the National. Like I don't like I've seen the Juliana Theory play once with something corporate and somebody else, and I did not have a good like they were not a good band. I did not have a good experience. Like it wasn't a thing. But their entire discography, I feel kind of the same way about. And it's like all of these songs just don't really do anything for me because it's every part of a specific era of music happening at once. And it's not to say that they're not good musicians and the singer guy doesn't have a good voice because they do, but it's missing that thing that makes me want to listen to it more. You know what I I mean? I think it's missing that it factor, which absolutely say is what kind of didn't push them over the edge, you know, like it, in a sense, they are very generic sounding. But yeah, to, there's something about it for me that's just like, this is just candy for my ears, you know? It, it, and see, like, this is how I, when I was writing all my notes, all of my notes have to do with stuff that are outside of the songs. Like, I really like the, the, the sound of the drums in this, in this record. Like, they're big and full without being overbearing to me. Um, I feel like the overall production on the record, especially for the area that it came out, is actually very good. Yeah, you know, there's I was not like that too. There's for not a thousand re- pop album. Yeah. Like, it sounds great. Like it's, it's very strong and there's not a ton of like vocal layering to the point where you're losing, you know, feeling of the, like they did a really good job with just everything across the board, but it's to me, it's like the songwriting isn't there. The, like the, the, the songs that are like a little better than, than generic good, it's still missing kind of like an energy feel to it or like, like heart, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. kind of, I, th- I've always had the impression that the Juliana Theory were one of these bands that they just wanted to be as big as possible. And they didn't really care how they got there. They just wanted to be as big as possible. And as soon as something didn't go the way they wanted it to, they threw a tantrum. Yeah. And that's always just kind of been my impression of this band. And it's flowed into the music. It's flowed into everything else where even though I, like, like I said, I have positive notes about this record and about that one song and about kind of the feeling of this overall record it's really hard for me to listen to this and go like okay i enjoy it because it's just so many of the like okay here comes a weird phasered covered guitar to start this record or start this song and then we're gonna have a little bit of like a programmed little little thing and it like it's everything that you could do in 2000 to make yourself sound like 2000 oh my god there's i think it's in uh the the third track to the tune of Five Thousand screaming children where he even goes like check it out and then they oh, go into like yeah. this oh, yeah. bass, like oh. the walking bass line with the floor tom. And I'm like, man, that is like every band. Oh, like, it's just, it's man, just when that song much. was, I was playing it earlier today, just on, like on my speakers and Carly came through and she's like, this sounds like exactly what I would have listened to when I was a child. But like, she's per- like, that's the thing is you two technically younger should than be me. like, yeah. Uh, but this is what I was going to say. She's in the second wave of the same version of this stuff. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I not the format, but I'm thinking like the main. Is that one of those yep. bands? Yep. Yeah. Like, they would be in the same kind of area of this. She's mm-hmm. just the next follow through of all of this stuff. So yeah. it totally makes sense that she would like find something where that, whereas you kind of fall into the same area that I do, just another generate, like another, you know, section over. Yeah. Uh, where you're kind of in between two things. So you're not going to catch everything of this or not going to catch everything of that. But it absolutely makes sense for her. Yeah, this didn't exactly fall into my wheelhouse of what I was listening to at the time. Exactly. Like, I was aware of, like, 
Well, yeah, but now I have more of an awareness of, you know, stuff like this. But at the time, I was much more into, like, well, I was 10 at the time. So I was taking <laughs> guitar lessons, and my guitar teacher was teaching me Metallica songs and stuff, right? Like, I, w- right. I had no, I, like, I was aware of Good Charlotte but I didn't listen to Good Charlotte, if you know what I mean. Can, can like, I just bring up one thing that's making me laugh? Because I always listen to whatever record we're doing in my headphones while we're recording. Yeah, and right. Can we just talk about the song Something Isn't Right Here and how fucking perfectly generic that song is? It's okay. the acoustic song on the record. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, absolutely. <laughs> and like, yeah. the one, my the note one for adjective. that is Ballad of Ballads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you bring that up because the one... If I were to give this adjective or this album one adjective, it would be safe. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, I, I, there's nothing here that is necessarily groundbreaking. And I'm admitting that, like, being the one that picked this album, there's nothing groundbreaking here. It's just, I find the songs are catchy as fuck. And they're like, they just bring me back to a time in my life where I was, you know, kind of in a, a state of like, uh, like I didn't really, I was like, wor- like I didn't have any worries in my life, you know. Like safe. it was just, yeah, it was a safe yeah, time. It was a safe yeah. time. Like it was the beginning of high school. I had friends. We were hanging out on the weekend. It's just a happy memory, you know. And that's where that it, album brings me back to. It's just, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's but safe. it's also like yeah. quintessential, um, like quote unquote emo Christian rock, and that's yes. something that we also haven't touched on in here. Is Absolutely. that yeah? This is um to a t a christian band writing a christian record for a christian era and like it shows in absolutely everything that goes on here and you said it it's right it's a safe record but it's also like i feel like that's also part of the reason they sold so well is because to me this is when i started to notice um for lack of a better term christian punk becoming more of a thing and these were all records that parents were okay with their kids buying because they knew that they wasn't going to say fuck in it or something. Absolutely. Or like mm-hmm. tell you to have sex before you should get married or whatever. There was and one like, scream on the album. So yeah, like, you, you know, can hide that this was that type of music. Yeah, but it's also like, it's kind of why I feel like this falls in with, say, Further Seems Forever, who I think is personally like a significantly better band. Um, but they still fall into that same genre because we're talking now about Solid State and Tooth and Nail record bands even if they went off to go do other things, they all started in that zone. And I feel like you could take this record and play it for anybody that was into the tooth or nail era. And they'd be able to say like, Oh, that was released in 2000 because it fits that perfect Christian music time. Like I didn't um, like that. The big under oath record come out like a year or two after this. Define the great line. Uh, No, no. The one before that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's like within a couple of years of this, and it's the same, th- like, granted, I'm not an Under Oath fan, but I also feel the same about that, like, first big Under Oath record before they kind of got really heavy, um, where it's like everything about this screams, we are safe for your kids to purchase this, and they're going to feel like they're into something really aggressive and dangerous, but it's not, you know? Um, well, this was also the time where you know, parents were going fucking nuts about what their kids were listening to, right? Absolutely. This was so, in the in the heyday of, like, the explicit content uh, yeah. sign had, had become more of a mainstay maybe three or four years prior to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a lot more of that, maybe not so much in Canada, but definitely in the States, more of a focus on censoring what was going on. Yeah. So 
And like when you have all the new metal that's going on around this area as well, too, that had like, it was almost cool to have that logo on your CD. Definitely. Um, you know, this was the other side of that, of like, you know, we're going to be for sale at churches and Christian bookstores, but it's going to be marketed to your kids as if it's the same thing, but it's not. And that's, I hear that all over this record as well. That makes oh, a like, lot of this sense is to me. Very safe, like John said. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, they're one of those bands that if you bring it up with anybody that's in our age demographic, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I listened to that band in high school, but they're not still listening to that band now. Like they're not no. a relevant band now. They're not a long, uh, a long lasting, uh, I don't know what the word is, you know, impression. Like a stalwart band. No, yeah, they're not. Where it's like you go back and you're like, man, this band fucking still rips today. Like they're, they're one of those bands that you were a big fan of in high school. And now you kind of just, if they come up, you're like, oh yeah, shit, that band, you know, I haven't thought it's about that in years. It's almost like, yeah, it's almost like they were part of the era where you just bought everything that came out that was similar to a certain band that you liked. Yeah. And I like, again, like I said, like I went to a Catholic school, so there was a bit of this kind of like mixture in thing, but I also grew up in a city where there was two like private school Christian, very focused, like it's a big part of the area. And so like we had Christian bookstores everywhere that were selling like, what is it? Starfire 59 or star something 59 and thousand foot crutch. And we had, like youth group-esque uh, events that had shows at them where they would have like this band called Steadfast Play, for example, who were yeah. like borderline Blink-182. Or like, I remember oh. the big show of that year was fucking Thousand Foot Crutch. And I remember going like, this is terrible. It's um, crazy to think like how big the Christian market really is. But also I would yeah. say to me, at least anyway, it's relevance as well, because I don't know of very many Christian bands at all anymore. And I'm not like, I don't want to seem like I'm shitting on a genre because of a specific belief, but I also feel like other than maybe under oath, I don't know a lot of those Christian bands that have had a carried over career that aren't just in a niche market at this point. Yeah. Like, I can't think of it. I anybody. agree. It's yeah, no, it's, it's very true, but it, it's just crazy to think that there are bands out there that make, millions of dollars like selling out arenas and festivals mm -hmm. that we don't listen to in the same way because they're just catered to this whole other demographic that we aren't a part of well that's yeah. just like country music in general is absolutely massive absolutely. like garth brooks is the biggest artist in the world and but he makes all of his money in like the southern states he of course he makes money up here but he can just do stadium after stadium like as much as he wants to in the state, like the Southern States, especially it's just, it's because it's of like that watching, demographic thing. It's like seeing if, if the Juliana theory did a reunion show right now today, and they played at a venue here in Toronto, <clears throat> they probably play somewhere like sneaky D's or, or hard luck even. But mm -hmm. then if they play cornerstone, they're like huge. There's like thousands of people that would be there to see them. You know, it's just, it's just crazy that, that sort of thing exists where you're small in one scheme, but giant in another. This baffles me. What I was going to point out is I feel like when kind of like, let's say the punk and hardcore era exploded in the 2000s, this, like the Christian side of things, exploded at the same time because there was crossover ability in the style. Like Haste the Day, I'm pretty sure, is yep. uh, a Christian band too. 
Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing them at Warp Tour play right before Rise Against. And I don't think wow. that, you know, say five years prior to that, either of those bands would be thought of to be on the same tour, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, again, it's because this specific style of music started to explode the Christian side of it became more marketable to some of these more savvy business business people because they looked at it and go, well, it's got enough of the, the heavy stuff, say, if we're talking about a hardcore band, say, it's got enough of the heavy to get people that are just like the heavy, but now we can also tell a 13-year-old's parents, you're not going to find anything in here that you are going to be upset about. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being... Um, just another way for, I don't want to say people to cash in, but just to, to have a broader, uh, stroke when it comes to that sort of thing. But, but there was again, a time like that. It was cool to be in a Christian band. A thousand percent. Yeah. You know, like people and would I be think like, it, it just one, became this, uh, fad almost in yeah. a sense. And then uh, you had like, again, Juliana theory touring with something corporate who something corporate is not a Christian band, you know, (laughs) but now you are, you are having a crossover between two bands that's that fit stylistically, but ideals wise are uh, not in competition, but just are kind of against each other. And to me, that's also part of where I feel like um, there's maybe too much exposure and why a lot of these bands weren't able to continue um, having a broad range career is because they because they came from a certain area once things got to a point where they were going to be as big as they were now there's a reason why they're against it you know what i mean like for what becomes a positive at a certain point then becomes a negative after a while you know Mm -hmm. like oh you're a christian band versus like oh you're a christian band whatever you know um and so i feel like that's also an issue with a band like the juliana theory is they weren't around long enough to really grow past this area of stuff like who knows if they had stuck around say for 15 years what we might be talking about now because again like i said the musicianship is there yeah it's not necessarily perfect in the songwriting but you can tell they're they know how to write a song and they they are good players you know yeah well have you guys listened to anything that they did because a bunch of the uh musicians in the band went on to be in other bands together afterwards and so I, I, i have no idea about any of that stuff no, I I listened to um, basically the second record that they put out, uh, or well, sorry, third one that they put out, which is called Love. That's where I ended with this band. I don't know anything after it musically wise, musically wise, that doesn't make sense, um, <laughs> stylistically, um, but also I don't know what they went to do after that because uh, this like band I called mentioned, Vesta. Vesta. Yeah. Um, like I had mentioned to Alex, like I had a very, before we did this podcast, um, I had a very bad experience with this band directly. And I was like, fuck this. And I like opted out completely. Oh, well, I'm sorry on that note, I think that. it's pretty funny that uh, Carly, my partner, Carly, she came while I was listening to it. She's like, this band sounds like they'd play with uh, something corporate. And then, you know, yeah. that's like the big band they toured with a lot. That Yeah, that was, I think, one of the biggest tours, at least that I remember them being on. Because I remember seeing it in Toronto, and I want to say it was at the Cool House, but it might have been the Phoenix. Um, and like, it was a pretty, it was a pretty big show at that point, you know, for what that was. I don't know. Again, like I said, I stopped paying attention as soon as that happened, so I don't know if they went to do bigger stuff after that. But I remember that one being a very, very like exciting for people lineup, you know. 
Yeah. It's funny. I've never seen them live and uh, they just kind of have this vibe to me that I would probably be bored watching them. Yeah. I was going to say personally, like, like maybe it, it would be different back in like 2000 when maybe they were younger and had more like angst to them. But uh, well, they seem like one of those bands that were trying to get girls to sing along to them. If that yeah. makes sense, you know, totally. like they were, they were, yeah. they were trying to appease to a specific demographic and you know, well, I was reading on their Wikipedia that they like they became a band. They were it was basically a side project for a bunch of musicians that were in other bands. But then they started getting so much attention through this that they were like, "Oh, we might as well just make this our band." So, yeah, like, and you know what? That's of... that's always been an impression for like again, like they're a success driven band. Yeah, you know, and that's I always again as a person have a hate for that as well. Because I feel like right away you've taken away, quote unquote, the art of what you're trying to do, you know. Mm -hmm. But the other big thing about this, and again, part of the reason why I feel like my, uh, some of my friends paid attention to begin with, is I'm pretty sure one of the guys in this band was also in Zayo, like the uh, hardcore band. I think it was like their lead singer, Brett. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Like he, like he was, I was trying to find when exactly he was... But Zayo was like yeah, he a... played guitar. He played guitar. He wasn't the singer. Oh, okay. okay. And it was for like a year. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I just remember like Zayo was a big deal because they were the, they were the first band that I had like a quasi Christian leaning that I remember seeing on like kind of bigger tours, if that makes sense. And the idea of like, oh, you were in Zayo, but now you're going to do this band because it seems like you might get on the radio just like really kind of tunes me out a little bit now as an older human being i get it but for a good chunk of my life i would just be like oh that sucks you know like well, why i kind of felt like, that way about uh pete wentz from fallout uh, Fall boy even though i like like i like fallout boy a lot better than this to be honest but uh at the time because pete he's all tattooed and he was like you know a hardcore guy and then he just joined this pop band and when i was younger i was like what the fuck is that I mean, oh, to be fair, if you're going to shit on him for that, you should really shit on the drummer. Uh, yeah, because that's he's, what I was going to say. He is, like, the hardcore guy. And I, like, <laughs> uh, like I love his drumming. Like, as a non-drummer, he's, like, to me, is one of the best drummers to watch and to, like, enjoy his playing because it's very tasteful. But, like, again, the concept of, like, okay, well, we're jumping in this to be successful. It's, like, he is the ultimate of that if that's what we're really digging into because he's like I, he plays in like five bands now but he's in like race trader he's in fucking sect um which is like straight edge borderline like power violence like it's fucking crazy yeah. um and then well, he's goes, also in that band with uh the anthrax guys and the guy from uh the damn things yeah, yeah the yeah. damn things which that album is really good by the way i i don't know <laughs> but yeah i just i don't know anything really about fallout boy like when they came out was kind of i wasn't really paying attention to them i just remember from the outskirts being some like you know young metal kid being like that's that's dumb why do you go play i this saw band? them at at warp tour 2004 and they were probably top five bands i saw that day they were phenomenal rise against um fuck what's that band called the undermined the under does that sound oh, right no just undermined undermined and then fallout boy and then somebody else who was a big deal at the time that broke up 
And that we basically stayed at that stage for like two and a half hours and watched all those bands play straight through. And Fall Out Boy was the best. Like they were phenomenal. They were tight. The guy could still sing live at that point. So like it was, <laughs> it was really good. Can but I agree. Uh, I saw them once since then and he was kind of all over the place. But I also kind of wondered, it, it was towards the end before they did that like weird break and he tried to do a solo record or whatever. Um, so I always kind of wondered if maybe it was more exhaustion than actual like ability. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not a pop music fan. Like that kind of thing does nothing for me. And I still remember leaving that day being like, fuck, they were really good. Um, See, I can appreciate so- them a lot more now. Then, uh, like, I would be fine with listening to an album of theirs now, totally. But that was something that, like, my sister got super into them. And I was just, you know, at that age, I was like, I don't want to listen to my sister's music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I didn't. That's, honestly, that's a big reason why I didn't listen to uh, the self titled Blink record forever. Oh, it's the best one. Oh, that it's is. Because my best sister best loved one. it. And I, I just, I don't know. I just, it never caught on to me in the same way we kind of jumped all over the place here we should probably try and move back what what uh, i will say maybe for john what is it that that you kind of get hooked on now that it reminds you of like is it just from like like you said like playing in bands to begin with and play hanging out in a basement and that kind of thing yeah like it's literally a nostalgia thing like it's honestly i put it on strictly for nostalgia reasons i want to revisit that feeling of you know where i was as like in my youth and that that's just where it brings me back to you. Like there's so, so many if you albums heard this, there. if you heard this now, like for the first time, kind of like Alex did, does it, it wouldn't carry any weight at all. At that probably point. not. I would probably okay. just shrug it off and be like, yeah, this is just some generic emo rock band that I think about a lot of bands like that. Now these days, this would probably get lumped into that, but because it has that feeling with me that it's like, man, I remember where I was when I was listening to this. And I remember the mind frame I was in and the, the time of my life, it has more of a positive uh, meaning to it. Oh, man. Yeah, life sucked back then. Like, Because <laughs> yeah. I would definitely say, like, if I had listened to this album now, it probably wouldn't hook me in the same way as it did back then. I'm not as impressionable now as I was back then. Totally. That makes sense. So it just... there, And I, I think it's just because I, I happened to hear that song on the undergrads, you know, tv show and i loved that show so much that i was, well, like, I was well, just anything associated say, yeah. with this you know is going to have some sort of uh and that's exactly why i didn't hate good charlotte at that time too because they were on that show and that show was so huge like it was repeated on teletoon there was only like six or eight episodes or something yeah and they played every night for like three years or something like that yeah on repeat yeah. and i would just watch every single one of them no matter what because they were great that's so, what I mean. I, I'm pretty sure I've seen that show in its entire, like the full, whatever, one season, mm-hmm. like over a hundred times. Easily. Just from Just from being it. on Teletoon. Yeah. Or whatever. And now channel. I'm sure and if I go back and watch it now, it's not going to, it's not going to hold up. You know, it's, it's, that's so funny because like, I am like slightly older than you guys. And I, I very much remember this show, but this was also like, at least for my, like my friend group and like my kind of growing up there it didn't have the weight that it has for you guys. Like I remember it, but I like, I don't remember it as like a, Oh man, this was the best. And I picked up so much. I just remember the guy that goes, Hey, cat. Oh yeah. <laughs> and like, that's all I remember from the show consistently that, or it was the show that you put on when you wanted to try and like do something else other than watch TV. 
Oh yeah, and again, the show is not like it's not good by any <laughs> means. Like the writing is whatever. It's just where because I was a kid and I related to it in some way at the time. Oh, yes. totally. It sticks with me now, and I. It can, was just perfect for the demographic, yeah. like the. Yeah, and I, I'm not trying to shit on it. I'm just yeah. saying, like, I feel like I missed out on the joy that people have for this show because I'm just too old, and there's there isn't a show that I hold in the same way. Because, like, I'm, for lack of a better term, I'm South Park generation. Like, the right. heyday Eight of South two. Park uh. is started when I was, like, 13, 14, 15 sort of thing. And I, it took me so long to like that show. Admittedly, in my 30s is when I started to like it. And I'm actually rewatching it right now. I'm yeah, on. and I mean, like, it's yeah. very funny, but 20. I don't, I don't, oh my God. Um, I, <laughs> I don't hold South Park the way that most people in my age group do because same thing. I, it didn't catch me at the time and I was so busy with other stuff that I never really tried to get far enough in to go like, Oh, this is great. You know, it's um, funny. You, oh, keep going. Sorry. No, 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 I'm done. I'm done. I was going to say, it's funny that you mentioned that with South park because I got into South park when I was 10 or 11 years old. And it was one of those shows that before I was watching South Park, I was watching Beavis and Butthead on Much yes. Music or MTV or yes. whatever. And because I wasn't allowed to stay up super late, I was recording it onto a VHS tape the night before or whatever, oh, wow. and then watching it during the day because I loved Beavis and Butthead that much. Mm-hmm. And then, because Beavis and Butthead was kind of that edgy thing that as a kid, you were like, oh, my parents are kind of letting me get away with watching this. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know it's just slightly inappropriate enough that I can you know, still watch yeah, it. Like TP for my bunghole isn't exactly, exactly crude. <laughs> and then, but then going into, into South Park and South Park, I have to say so much of the humor on South Park when I was 11 or 12 is way over my head, but I yes. liked it because it was, it was edgy. It was, yep. you know, I was allowed to watch it even though it was not for my age group at all. I was wearing, I killed Kenny t-shirts and, you know, I, I still had a Cartman plush doll for, until you know about five years ago that i sold to a friend that was just sitting in my parents basement wow like it like that but it's it's funny because i was only really into south park for the first two seasons and then once i kind of hit high school it i just kind of fell off and i just never really got back into it since then and i know they've been into 20 seasons now or whatever does anybody have any final thoughts about emotion is dead by the julian i'm actually kind of excited at the idea of maybe we try and do like once every three or four times through, we try and find a nostalgia record and take a look at this. Because as much as, like I said, I don't like this band, I don't like the record, I don't like that. It was also kind of fun, like you said, to dig into what the memories that are attached to that are, good or bad or whatever. Totally. And I feel like that could be kind of a fun thing to do. Because like you did it this week, maybe the next time it comes around, like Alex is, you know, Alex and me, and we have a couple of guests lined up. And then the next time it's Alex's turn, maybe it's his time to be like, this is what I listened to when I was fucking 14 and fell in love the first time or whatever it is. And we can kind of revisit some of these old ones that aren't necessarily classics, but would fall into like a classic in your life, so to speak. And I think that could be kind of cool. So that got me excited. Like listening to this record got me excited to dig into some of the stuff that maybe I haven't listened to. Like you mentioned Spitalfield. I used to love that band. So that's that what could I mean. be a good one to kind of dive into, you know? It's bands you forget about, and then you go back and listen to it, and it takes you back to a time and place in your life where you're like, holy shit, I forgot about this, you know? Exactly, and yeah. And when I listened to this album again, start to finish, 
I want to say maybe three weeks ago, which is why I was like, oh, I kind of want to do this record on the podcast because it immediately brought me back to that time and place. And it just felt like something I wanted to talk about because music has a different impact on everybody, right? So depending on what you're listening to at a time and everything, this is a very existential <laughs> statement. Existential <laughs> ending. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I just felt, you know, because it brought me to such a positive place in my life, it'd be cool to reflect on that, you know, so many years later. Yeah. I think that's a great idea to do this again, moving forward. as like a nostalgia um, album. Plus it, it gives us a really safe area to just shit all over someone's taste. Because Absolutely. at the end of the day, it's oh my just God. old. Like I'm going to be <laughs> like, okay, here's Anima of the State. And then all three of us can be like, fuck, they don't know how to do anything but this one songwriting. Like it's just, yeah. it's, it's kind of fun, you know? Like, yeah, Absolutely. Cool. But yeah, I, like I said, other than that, like my, my takeaway is that if the one positive I had is I just really like the drum tone on this record. So maybe take that as a good thing. I don't know. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. All right, well... Uh, as always, you can, <laughs> I'm just going to wrap this up. Uh, you can, uh, cause we went on so many tangents. Uh, we did. Yeah. You can reach us at sparrows613 at gmail.com. Uh, tell us what your favorite throwback record is. You know, it'd be nice to hear, uh, what you listen to that brings you back to a time in your life that was good or bad, you know, um, or other recommendations for albums, you know, stuff, what are you doing in quarantine? I don't care. Just send us emails. We want to hear from you. I mean, um, they all end up at me. So maybe just send us a Facebook message instead. Sure. Yeah. Um, and we'll as well. Pictures of our dog back. Yes. yes. I guess that does it for episode five. Yeah. Sweet. Sorry about all yeah. the tangents. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This, this is, yeah. Still the fifth episode. I mean, we're, still, we're still getting a hang of this. This is also the only social interaction I have outside of going to work and telling people, no, don't come in. There's someone else here already. So, you know, <laughs> a lot of stuff is going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Well, on behalf of myself, Dan, and Alex, thank you for listening. This has been the Mothman Prophecies of Sparrows podcast. We will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>